Hello and welcome back to Finding Our Way, our Southwood Church member podcast designed to give you the inside scoop on life in and around our church. Today's episode is a special one featuring Shane Claiborne, who's a prominent speaker, activist, and best-selling author. We had the chance to hear from Shane a couple weeks ago at an event we put on at our St. Catharines location, and now we have the chance to hear from him again in this format. Would you join me in welcoming Shane to our podcast? I'm going to hand things over to today's host, who is also one of our pastors at the St. Catharines location, Chris Fowler. So we are really privileged today uh, to take advantage of modern technology to have a conversation with a new friend of our Southridge family, Shane Claiborne. Yeah, good to be with you. Yeah, it's fantastic. A number of months ago, we took a flyer and reached out to Red Letter Christians, an organization Shane co-founded, to see if he might be willing to spend a bit of time with our gang so we could maybe mix it up a little bit in conversation and hear him articulate some of the heart God's been growing in him as he's followed Jesus for many years now. And so thankfully, he agreed to come and hang out with us last week. Uh, And after a couple of plane delays on his flight from Philly to Toronto, a number of us from Southridge were able to share a meal and afterwards experience a more formal gathering in our church's auditorium. And earlier this week, we were able to put that uh, talk that he gave to us uh, online And the event that we had that night, we called it Building Longer Tables, Not Higher Fences. And if you haven't uh, listened to it, we'd encourage you to go to episode 199 of the Finding Our Way podcast or on our Southridge YouTube channel to to take it in because there's so much solid content in that 30 minutes that we don't uh, want you to miss. So uh, today, thanks to the wonders of Zencaster, we're able to continue this conversation with Shane that will hopefully allow us to not only hear a little bit more of what God's been up to in Shane's life and the community he's a part of, but also to have our imaginations inspired by about what is possible when we radically trust in and depend on Jesus and the vision of the kingdom of God he said we could experience. So, so just to get started, Shane, maybe we could just get a little bit more of your background. So this first question I got for you is a three-parter, okay? <laughs> yeah. we're going we're going big yeah. we're diving right in head head first so like could you describe for us just how the idea of following jesus first grabbed your attention like you know in the first place how did god kind of just make himself known to you and then what was the culture of the faith in jesus you grew up with and then what were some of the defining moments that radically reoriented the focus of that faith Cool. Yeah. Well, so first of all, you know, I, I grew up down in Tennessee uh, and my dad died when I was pretty young. He had multiple sclerosis and my mom um, loved me well and tried to raise me up with, you know, working, working all the time and, uh, but, you know, taking me to church and I became a part of the Methodist church Um but really that was just kind of going to services, you know? And, but when I was in middle school, I remember going to this retreat and hearing about the kind of personal side of God, you know, how much God loves us and uh, what Jesus did on the cross. And, you know, they gave an altar call. So we, we flooded the altar and uh, it was a real deep, um, profound, you know, spiritual experience for me, even though I was, uh, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old or something like that. So, you know, and I kept leaning into all that. I, I think a lot of the stuff I 
heard in church, had a little bit more life to it. You know, I got involved in Young Life and some other sort of activities and stuff. Uh, but I, I, this is what also happened is I started uh, taking Jesus pretty seriously and reading the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospels and seeing what a uh, radical call they were to the countercultural values that we see there, you know, selling what you have and giving it to the poor and um, loving our enemies, you know, and <laughs> just these little things. And uh, yeah, small and, stuff. And, yeah. So I, I, I really did begin to see, you know, even in high school that in the church were we're better at making believers than forming disciples, you know, and hmm. sometimes we um, have turned Christianity more into a theology into a doctrinal statement rather than a lifestyle that's yeah, yeah. really re reoriented to Christ. So um, all of that was kind of a curiosity for me, you know, uh, and, but I mean, even, even back then I was learning about John Wesley who was really radical. You know, he said, if I die with more than 10 pounds, may every person call me a liar and a thief. You know, he, he, uh, yeah, he said, if I, if I find money in my hands, I get rid of it as quick as I can before it mm. corrupts my heart. Uh, right. You know, and he had this real Pentecostal side to him. So I got involved in the charismatic movement. I kept like kind of looking around for where I saw the spirit at work. Um, and that's what drew me to Philly too. Cause uh, this college I went to, Eastern University, had this fusion of sort of a charismatic side to it right. and a deeply grounded biblical, you know, theology. Uh, and when I was in undergrad, I studied sociology, uh, and that's where I first met, you know, Tony Campolo, who now is a, a dear friend and mm. my you know, partner in ministry and everything. But he, uh, you know, he used to say. So he used to really point that out, that our faith is not just a, a ticket into heaven. Our faith should cause us to care about the world around us. And the kingdom of God is not just something we go up to when we die, but something we're to bring on earth while we live. You know, so it was really that, that my studies of, uh, at Eastern and sociology and theology really, really uh, began to shape how I think about what it means to be Christian. Wow. So it really messed with your head in a really beautiful way. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, I mean, fast forwarding a little bit, um, you know, without missing too much of the story. I mean, I, I know that you've outlined a lot of your story, your kind of your early story in your first book, Irresistible Revolution. Um, but I'm curious about what, uh, what, inspired you to begin this uh, to to participate in beginning this movement called the simple way just what were its origins and 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 even how has it developed over the last 25 years and just how have you seen jesus at work in the neighborhood where this community lives yeah so while i was uh at eastern uh, in like my second year of college uh that's when we heard about a group of homeless mothers and children, families in Philadelphia that were um, had nowhere to go. There was a, a three thousand. There were like three thousand families on the waiting list for housing, uh, and and so what these families did was incredibly courageous. They 
saw all of the abandoned buildings in North Philadelphia and they saw this abandoned church and they said, this isn't just any building, you know, this is a holy space and mm-hmm. uh, we should be able to see, you know, find sanctuary there. So they started living there and we read that in the newspaper, uh, you know, that they had been given sadly uh, an eviction notice that if they weren't out within two days, they could be arrested for trespassing on the abandoned property of the church. Yeah, that's and, intense. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I shared a little bit of that story when I was up there with you guys, yeah. but that was, that was like, it was absolutely uh, catalytic, you know? I mean, mm. that was when we, um, we, it was initially a student kind of solidarity movement, but that okay. also you know, gave birth to the community that I'm a part of now, you know, I've been a part of for 25 years. Uh, so a handful of us out of that student movement, uh, we were reading about the early church in the book of Acts, how they shared all of their possessions in common. And um, it says there were no needy persons among them. Yeah. Uh, that really caught our imagination. And, um, and so we, we ended up, um, pulling our money together and, and buying a house here on the north side of Philadelphia. And um, there's all kinds of things that happened, you know, around that. We started visiting other communities um, right. and we, um, we we really kind of would see parts of what we wanted in those communities. You know, I mean, everything from Jesus people into in Chicago mm, to right, the, right. the, the Bruderhof and Mennonite communities and the Catholic workers and Koinonia farms and rural communities, urban communities, big communities, small communities. But, you know, we're reading books like Life Together by Bonhoeffer and trying to um, imagine a little deeper and different way of living together in community. And so we, you know, I'm looking at the house we moved into across the street as, as we're recording this, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. where we, we started and we, you know, over the last couple of decades, it's turned into more of a village. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, uh, I, 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 it's, it's pretty funny because in some senses you're just kind of doing your best to look at what was happening and just sort of simply do what you saw. And yet, and yet there's a lot of work that goes into, to, to kind of making that happen and to being able to do that. Well, what are, what are some of the things that have emerged over the last 25 years as you guys have committed to one another to live in the kind of community that you're in? Well, we, we, we didn't set out with like really particular uh, ideas about programs and things like that. We did have a, a pretty um, robust and deliberate vision about being neighbors, you know, and getting to know people here, becoming a part of the fabric of the neighborhood. And that's what really happened for us. So, um, we had a neighbor that had an idea, let, let's start a, a thrift store, you know, a secondhand shop. So we, we did that for a while. We, we did a dollar a bag, you know, you could take, you get a bag for a dollar, you could take whatever you want, you know, and uh, if it was bigger than a bag, like a bicycle, it probably went for like five bucks or something, you right. know, and, uh, but that we did that, you know, we, we met a lot of kids that needed help with homework. So we started a, a, a homework club. Um, we began to have like these kind of, you know, year after year, we would build it up a little bit, these different kind of neighborhood celebrations that we would have, you know, a back to school party, a Mother's Day party, a Christmas event, you know, all these different things. So, uh, yeah, it just it kind of grew. And then some of the other stuff that happened is we saw 
the need for affordable housing. So okay. we've started, you know, uh, I don't know, probably a dozen other nonprofit organizations over the years. So Simple Homes is doing affordable housing, you know, taking abandoned houses and turning them into homes. Uh, there's other ideas that people have in the neighborhood, like a male mentoring ministry mm. where older mm. guys could mentor younger guys. And we kind of incubated that within our nonprofit and it spun off. And now Timoteo is what it's called, you know, okay. which is Spanish for Paul and Timothy, you know, yes. kind of winking at that, you know, mentoring relationship we see in scripture. And uh, um, so, I mean, some of those organizations have a bigger budget than we, than we do at the simple way, probably these days, but yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Really, I'm kind of proud of how we've come alongside of a lot of other groups, you know, folks like uh, our recovery community called New Jerusalem that is, it started a, a little earlier than us actually, but we've been, hmm. you know, kind of in this work together for so many years. So, um, and then there's the movement work, you know, like the work we're doing now around gun violence, all of that surfaced because of our, uh, as I would say, you know, theology of place that we're grounded here and to love our neighbor as ourself uh, means that we're also addressing the principalities and powers, as scripture says, right? The policies and uh, things that are either crushing people's lives or maybe allowing them to flourish. Uh, and when it comes to gun violence, I think that's one of the, the things in the United States that um, it really doesn't have to be this way. It's, mm. it's a matter of willpower and courage uh, right. to make to make some changes that would save lives and are not going to save every life, but certainly yeah. could put us uh, more in a similar space as other countries like us, you know, to where we're not losing 40,000 lives uh, every year to yeah. guns yeah, yeah, and yeah. Many, many of those in neighborhoods like mine, you know? So, yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it's cool how, um, I mean, it seems like the simple way is just a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God being lived out in a local context with kind of life on life relationships. I'm kind of curious because you kind of started to, to, to get into it a little bit. What led you to focus more intentional time and effort in interacting with the wider church about taking Jesus seriously by co-founding Red Letter Christians? Early on, we had a, the parent of, of one of our, one of the folks that started the Simple Way with is uh, Michael Bricks. His dad is a Baptist pastor. He's uh, retired now, I think. But he, you know, he he uh, he said something interesting. He said, "I used to think that you all were missionaries to Kensington, to your neighborhood. Right. But I came to find out that you're actually learning the gospel there, and you're missionaries to the church. <laughs> you know, oh, and kind of yeah, pulling yeah. the church back." into the mission of Jesus and into the neighborhood. Hmm. And uh, I don't know if he was right about that, but it certainly like did kind of uh, stir, stir our, uh, my own thinking about, you know, what does it look like to, uh, the, Clarence Jordan said this really well. He was one of the co-founders of Koinonia community. And he said, um, our communities are demonstration plots for the kingdom. Hmm. We're to try to demonstrate a little glimpse of kind what of a microcosm. Yeah, I mean, and on our good days, right? We're always going to fall short of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's our aspiration, you know. So when yeah. my neighbor, one of my neighbors, was looking at the community gardens that we were building, and she was a part of that, and she said, "I, I we're trying to bring the Garden of Eden to North Philadelphia," you know, and nice. you're like, "Yes, that is. That's what we're 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 aspiring to bring God's dream." 
Mm. on Potter Street, you know, in our neighborhood. Um, and I think that invitation is, I mean, it's always been a passion of mine. I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelical. I love writing and speaking. I love talking about Jesus and justice. So we, but we, we've become increasingly uh, concerned at Red Letter Christians about the reputation of uh, Christians um, hmm. and, and especially evangelical Christians in the public sphere. The loudest voices haven't always been the most beautiful mm. or loving and faithful voices. In fact, a lot tough. of what we what we hear in the news from folks who profess to be Christian, uh, especially in political seasons, like um, I'm embarrassed by it. You know, it mm. sounds very mm. different from Jesus. And right. I mean, you know, you don't need to look much further than the obvious. You know, I think in the support of Trump more recently, uh, you know, around eight 80% of white evangelicals uh, continued and still to this day continue to defend the mm. rhetoric and policies of Trump. Um, mm. and, and one of my friends, Kristen Dumay, who wrote a wonderful book, Jesus and John Wayne, she said, it's not that Christians thought Trump was the savior. They just wished that the savior looked more like Trump <laughs> than like Jesus. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so I think that, you know, I'm not partisan. But I am really concerned about the collusion of Christianity um, with nationalism and with some of our partisan politics. As, as my brother Tony Campolo says, when you mix uh, faith and politics, it's kind of like mis- mixing ice cream and horse manure. Uh, oh, it, yeah. doesn't, it, it doesn't do much damage to the manure, but it really messes up the ice cream, you know? So, um, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not just politically. I, I think it's, it's also, you know, sex scandals. It's the, you know, uh, uh, there, there's all kinds of, I think, um, things that we see that don't look like Jesus in the church. So Red Letter Christians, you know, obviously our name comes from uh, – the, the red letters are, you know, in many of the Bibles are, are uh, the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. And that's where we get our name. And we say, you know, mm-hmm. we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. But I really resonate with Gandhi. And I think a lot of Christians and non-Christians alike can appreciate when, when Gandhi was asked about Christianity, he said, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians acted more like him. Hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, what are some of the ways that like red letter Christian seeks to resource the wider church? Well, we've got, so one of the things that we have uh, always seen, we've kind of always seen ourselves as uh, what we, we say a, a web of subversive friends yeah. that are, are that love Jesus and love justice. Hmm. Um, so we started with a lot of speakers and writers Okay. Because, uh, because you know, that's Tony and I were, uh, we're both we're doing spend a lot of our energy, you know, preaching and proclaiming the gospel, and we were concerned about this kind of public reputation of Christianity and how um, how unchristlike it sounded so often, you know. So sure. um, the Reverend Barber, who's a part, been a part of Red Letter Christians, he's he's an incredible leader in the U.S., and he says uh, that the way that we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. Mm. So we've been trying to really amplify voices of folks that are, that are speaking and writing and 
uh, about Jesus. So that they're talking about the least of these, the widows and the orphans, the things that, you know, there's 2,000 Bible verses that talk about the poor and Jesus' wow. concern yeah. for just, God's concern for justice. So, uh, you know, that, that that's what we're, we're trying to do together. And since then, it's turned into all kinds of stuff. We've got a musicians collective. Uh, we sometimes call it the Praise and Protest Coalition. Um, okay. And we've got um, a bunch of missional businesses, uh, similar to like raw tools where we're, you know, turning guns into garden tools and art. There's dozens of, you know, some of them are really well known, like Thistle Farms and Homeboy okay. Industries, you know, but they, these different missional businesses. And we've got co-conspirating organizations, co-conspirators, you know, these great groups that we're working with to end the death penalty. Um for immigration reform, you know, things like that. So we are collaborators and that that's what it is. It's a movement that's centered around Jesus, but that's also engaging, you know, the, the big issues of our day. Wow. That's really cool. So, um, you know, uh, obviously you're kind of living out your life as a community locally in Kensington there. Uh, then also kind of being involved. I mean, even the fact that you came and visited us, you're, you're, traveling relatively widely and seeing a lot of things going on in the church. I'm kind of curious, what are some of the exciting and practical ways you've observed people loving others radically in the same way that Christ has loved them? Like what roles have you seen building relationships across traditional social barriers play and sort of bringing healing to everybody? Well, the good news is, you know, everywhere I look, I see, um, I, well, it's kind of like Jesus said, the, the wheat and the weeds, you know, it's all growing together. So we've got the funk, we've got the, the unchristlike kind of versions of our faith, just like any faith has folks that sort of distort and exploit the faith. Um, but there are so many beautiful things happening that often don't make uh, the headlines like they should. And uh, I just came from the Christian Community Development Association Conference, ccda.org. And um, the Christian Community Development Movement has, uh, I mean, has thousands of people, organizations all over the country. It's one of the largest um, gatherings of faith-rooted nonprofits and church-based community development groups. um, Sounds pretty cool. Just transforming neighborhoods, you know, so uh, there's... And, and that are addressing the issues of injustice. Um, so we, we talked about the death penalty. We talked about gun violence, but we worship Jesus. You know, there's worship every night. There's Bible study every morning. So that's that's awesome, you know. Wow. And then I go to communities like you all at Southridge, you know, and there's every, you know, it feels like there's a really beautiful, missional, Jesus-based work that's um, going on all over the place. And I mean, I can name the landscape in Philly because uh, I, I see it, you know, there's, there's just beautiful, beautiful work happening. Um, and I, you know, one of my concerns is that I think a lot of people are deconstructing and leaving versions of Christianity that are worth leaving. Um, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily going and finding the good news, you know, the life giving okay. community yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes I, I, I've, think of it kind of like you go to a bad concert and you don't give up on music, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, unlike a bad concert, some folks have been really 
wounded or even abused, you know, within the church. So I want to honor that, but also go, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, we're all looking for love and belonging. And, um, and there are communities out there. I mean, it, we're made in the image of God, which means yes. we're made in the image of community. Yes, uh, yes. We're, we're, we're made to love and be loved. So there's still going to be a real emptiness if we don't find that kind of space. And, um, you know, some people find it in, in a marriage and family, but I think that the call of Jesus is big, deeper and broader than just finding a life partner. I think for a lot of folks that, hmm. you know, they're not going to get married. And um, uh, we, we've got to, the, 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 at the heart of the gospel is this call to live in community and to love and be loved and find it. I mean, Jesus models that. Jesus says, wherever two or three of you gather in my name, I'm with you. Um, yeah. But, you know, a lot of church is not, really vital community either. There's a lot of commuter congregations. There's a lot of folks that just come to a service and pop in and out or write a check every week or something. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I think that's why we need real community, which is what drew me to Southridge. You know, I think you're trying to develop real friendships that are very authentic and personal. You're creating a lot of, uh, you know, small groups and ways that people can live out the gospel in their context. And that's exactly the kind of thing you know, I think we need. Well, we're kind of stumbling along in that. Um, and, you know, there's some some good news stories around that. And there's some ways that we've failed. But we're, um, like you said, aspiring to become something like what you've just been describing. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, it's kind of a uniquely kind of Western question, I think, because uh, in the Western church, there's a lot of financially well-off followers of Jesus. And uh, I'm just wondering, you know, how would you encourage folks uh, in their relationship with the power that material resources they have access to gives them? Like, how can their loyalty to Jesus affect how they interact with the economic systems we find ourselves living in? Well, back to, to John Wesley, you know, who was, was really being shaped by Jesus. So it's really going back to Jesus. But, you know, Wesley um, said, I'm going to live off of what I need, um, not what I want or what I have access to. And he really cut his, his um, annual income down, which was pretty easy when he was poor, you know, but he began to generate what would be today thousands of dollars, you know, yeah. um, and, and still lived off of that like said income and gave the rest away, yeah. not only because it was the gospel, but because he's protect, I mean, in his own words, he was keeping it from, from corrupting his heart, you know? Um, and, you know, mother Teresa lived in that spirit. She, she said, uh, in effect, the more we have, the more we can hide behind, you know, the, mm -hmm. the more possessions we clutter our lives with the empty, our the, the, the more empty our souls become. And I think we see that in scripture, you know, with the text that we looked at when I was there at Southridge with the rich man and Lazarus and yeah, yeah. so many other stories in scripture. So, um, so I think we, we just say, what, what do we need to live off of and let's give the rest away. And, and what becomes important is not just, uh, you know, how much we, we, we give like, but, uh, um, that it's all like really rooted in love too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's what happened in the early church is that sharing possessions wasn't the prescription for community. It was the description. That's why it's not just about, you know, communism or socialism, but it's about love. 
And, and love means, love means I hold my possessions differently. If my neighbor doesn't have a coat and I've got two of them, I need to share one, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. uh, uh, In fact, the early Christians would go even further and say, if you don't share one, you're a thief. You've stolen from your neighbor because God didn't create this, this excess for some at the expense of, of the many. And, you know, so I think that it's living into this economy of love. Hmm. Um, and, uh, um, but that, that's also why we have to be in, re- we're invited into relationship with folks who are struggling. And I, you know, I'm con- convinced that one of the biggest struggles in the church is not just a compassion problem, okay. but it's, it's, a geography problem. It's a relationship problem. It's a proximity problem. It's not that we don't yeah care about the poor we don't know the poor you know and and um it's hard to love your neighbor if you don't know them you know and and so yeah. i think that's why fundamentally all of this is is about being called into relationship and you look at matthew 25 and it's this just beautiful invitation to lean in to those who are hurting in the world you know jesus saying when i was in prison did you visit me when i was sick did you take care of me when i was naked did you clothe me you know so all this when i was a stranger did you welcome me in so relationship is at the heart of the gospel and uh you know mother Teresa, one of her other wonderful lines i quote mother Teresa a lot because i love her you know and she said it can be very fashionable to talk about the poor but not as fashionable to talk to them (laughs) right right you know, and I think there's a lot of folks that talk about the poor, but not to them. You know, we talk about immigrants, but, uh, you know, tell me the names of five immigrant, you know, families that you're, you're in, that are in your life right now. You know, we talk about Muslims, but I mean, you know, do you have a handful of Muslim friends that right, are, right. Are, are, are we just talking about people? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like, there's a lot of big questions that folks who are well off could be potentially struggling with. It sounds like uh, maybe a good place to start is just dipping your toe in the water of actually getting to know folks who experience marginalization and maybe in a way that, that they wouldn't be experiencing. I've found that as I've gotten to know people, as I've gotten to know individuals and individuals become friends and not just some statistic. Uh, well, y- you do stuff for your friends that quite naturally that you wouldn't necessarily do for just some random person. Although once you start to see the image of God and even a so-called random person, then something can stir in your heart too. And then if you get to know people well enough, they actually feel like family and, and who wouldn't give the shirt off their back to their family. And uh, maybe it's just, letting go of the hold that maybe some of our material resources have on us has to do with how much we love other people. So I, yeah. And, and you know, I, I think absolutely this, this is a very consistent theme in scripture, you know, is uh, with, with the rich man and Lazarus, you know, they, yeah. they weren't bi- biologically related, but they were, um, uh, living right next to each other, but the, the rich man was living behind, he was hiding behind the possessions, right? He was, he was living uh, with a wall between him and the suffering of, of his neighbor Lazarus. 
Um, I think about the Good Samaritan story, you know, where a person's beat up and left in the ditch uh, and all the religious people pass by, but the Samaritan does something and not only gets his hands dirty, but he um, perhaps risks his own life and comfort, mm-hmm. interrupts his entire schedule for the day, um, puts this guy on his uh, on his horse and takes him into an inn and begins to, you know, make sure he's cared for. So like another person suffering can can be an interruption, but that's where the gospel happens. I mean, half the stories in the gospel are interruptions. Jesus is on his way somewhere. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Something yeah, yeah. happens or someone's like, hey, my, my kid's sick. Can you come to my house? Or we ran out of you know wine at our wedding. Can you help us out? You know, like it's all interruptions. So I think we've got to make space for love mm-hmm. and make space for hospitality. Um, mm-hmm. Not be so obsessed with our schedules and routines and what's predictable uh, in our lives. I mean, that's part of the point, I think, of the stories like The Good Samaritan is people get beat up at very inconvenient times. Uh, but yeah, will yeah. we will we allow our routines to be interrupted? And, you know, and you make a really interesting point. I, I think of, you know, Dorothy Day, uh, co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. And mm-hmm. um, she, ta- you know, they created House of Houses of Hospitality all over the country and around the world. You've got some there in Canada, you know. And um, she said if, if simply every Christian would uh, open up the empty room in their home to the stranger, mm. uh, we would end homelessness overnight. You know, we mm. would put the foster mm. care system out of, out of business. Um, mm. And, I mean, she's one of those kind of prophetic uh, f- folks that, that 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 sounds like a a very daunting idea, you know. But I think there's a lot of creative ways that we can make room for others in our lives. And maybe it is fostering a kid. Uh, maybe it's welcoming an immigrant family. You know, we've got a network now that's forming around the United States, not only to take in Ukraine um, mm-hmm. refugees, but also to take in refugees from other places or folks at the border. That sadly, some folks, you know, this just happened in in that the folks in Texas sent a bus up with uh, uh, immigrant families to Philadelphia. So like, hmm, hmm, I mean, hmm. it doesn't get much, that doesn't get much clearer than uh, <laughs> when Absolutely. I was a stranger, when I was a stranger, did you welcome me in? And there's questions about, you know, how do we um, have, you know, wisdom uh, and, 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 and all of that. And, but, but I find that some of what, how we get wisdom for this is in community, Right. It, it can feel a little intimidating if it's just me in my own individual life trying to do all this work. But we're called to do it in community. There's a yeah. wealth of resources. There's a wealth of wisdom. Uh, time is multiplied. You know, just like you hear growing up, many hands make for light work. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So I think that's true in, in, in a lot of different ways that we we can carry stuff together in community that we can't on our own. Um, and, and so that's why, you know, something like South Ridge, you know, you've got such a beautiful community that can be uh, this witness, right? Can do so much good together because it's, 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 God does something with community that's more than just the sum of its parts, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. like just one plus one equals two. It's like there's something bigger that happens, right? To where um, the, the spirit works among us and community is is uh, mystical it's beautiful and yeah it's, it, god is in our midst and so it it uh, mm-hmm. allows us to do all kinds of things together that's great well shane uh like we're, we're talking about a lot of things that include a lot of doing 
Um, I'm kind of curious how you attempt to keep love at the center of it. Um, like, how do you keep your heart tender uh, towards God and towards people? How do you protect your heart from cynicism on the one hand and burnout on the other? Um, are, are there some spiritual practices maybe that help you stay uh, centered? There's there's the maybe more obvious ones that um, are still worth repeating, you know, like spiritual disciplines and prayer. Katie and I do a, a morning prayer huddle together each morning. You know, we created this resource called Common Prayer that has sort of rhythms for each day of yeah. prayer in the morning, midday and evening. All of those kind of keep us grounded. Um, the things like fasting, you know, mm. and the Sabbath day and like really old school. It's kind of like working out your your spiritual muscles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, um, and some of the old stuff is great. You know, sit up some push-ups and jogging. Like you, we don't need to overthink it, right? Right, right. Uh, these, these things have been get, being done for thousands of years. So let's keep doing them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but then I think there's a few other things that I guess personally for me, I, I believe in joy and I believe in laughter and fun. And so we like, you know, we do all kinds of stuff that um, Katie and I are both, we love the circus. So we, we're, we're unicyclers yeah. and jugglers and, um, great. Um, you know, that, that you see a, a, a giraffe, you know, 10 foot unicycle riding down the block. It's uh, it kind of throws things off a little bit. It's nice, you know, and um, I think you guys we are... need, I think we learned that Katie's a birder too, isn't she? Yeah, she is a birder. Totally, man. She, Katie's very talented. You know, I tried to get her to join me. Maybe she'll come in next time. She doesn't like doing stuff like this because she, you know, <laughs> but she, she's, um, uh, we're, she's a fire breather. We're, we're, we, we've got the circus arts of fire breathing and fire. Come on now. And uh, she's a blacksmith. So we have a, we do a lot of really fun stuff. The, the last thing with your question though, too, bro, is um, that, um, I think that the micro and the macro stuff, there's an equilibrium there for me where if mm. I'm just giving out food all the time without addressing why people are hungry to begin with, mm. uh, I sort of get tired. Uh, so I want to be doing the activist life or whatever you call it. You know, I want to be working yeah. for policy changes. I want to be trying to, you know, build affordable housing and not just taking people in on the streets. We're doing all of that, you know, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the other thing I see is that people that are working on the macro side for policy change, they start to get tired if they don't have their feet on the ground. Mm -hmm, so some mm -hmm. of them, you know, they need to come help a, help a kid with, with homework or, mm -hmm. you know, make s'mores around the fire, you know, or, or come uh, try to learn to juggle in the park with us or something. They need to like do something outside of the kind of uh, Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, I think I think that's that all to me kind of goes together. One of my mentors said, um, um, "We've all heard the saying: you give someone a fish to eat for a day, you teach them to fish to eat for the rest of their life." And he says, uh, John Perkins, he says, "But we've also got to ask who owns the pond, yeah, and yeah, do yeah. something about those kind of equity questions as well." So that I see all of those in my life. You know, we're we're doing the immediate relief work, we're giving out food, we're trying to create jobs, we're trying to, you know give people opportunities to fish for themselves. But we're also realizing that it doesn't matter if you know how to fish, mm. if the pond's been polluted. 
or there's mm. gates up that don't allow you in mm. um, or a fishing license costs too much. Right. Like, mm. so there's kind of all those other, those are the principality issues. I think that we've also got to do, cause I know a whole lot of people that have skills in my neighborhood that know how to fish, but mm. we've lost a hundred thousand jobs here. And so there's, wow. there's, it's trying to kind of, reimagine the economy and what it would look like right for god's dream to be on our in our neighborhood and it's for people to uh have access to the things that they need you know and and that's what we're working towards that's fantastic i mean it's it was been hard to listen to you after i was considering uh, adopting the spiritual practice of fire breathing so i'm gonna take that uh take that pretty seriously (laughs) yeah hey um You've recently completed another book. Um, just wondering if you would want to share the title of that book with us, what compelled you to write it, and why you think it's important for people to be contemplating the themes that you raise in it. Cool. Yeah, I'm real excited about it. It feels like a um, a project that's been brewing for a lot of years. Um, the, the title of, of this book, it comes out in February um, and it's called Rethinking Life. Uh, reclaiming The subtitle is Reclaiming the Sacredness of Every Person. Hmm. So to, to really think deeply about what it means that every person is created uh, in the image of God, you know, yes. uh, and um, the last couple of projects I've done, the last couple of books have been pretty specific. Um, I wrote a book on the death penalty and I wrote a book on gun violence. And the reason that I wrote those was because as much as we talk about being pro-life as Christians, we've often really narrowly defined what that means to one issue like abortion. Mm -hmm. But on a lot of other issues, we aren't consistent with that Mm. advocacy for life. Um, I mean, on gun violence, Christians are the biggest supporter of guns uh, and the biggest obstacle to gun Mm. legislation in the country. Mm. Um, The biggest Christians own guns at a higher rate than the general population. So I started to see that stuff and it really blew my mind. And on the death penalty, it was similar. Um, Mm. Despite having an executed and risen savior who said, Mm. you know, Mm. blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. We're the biggest supporters of the death penalty. But, you know, I know a lot of countries like Canada, you know, you, you, these issues are they're not just particular. So this book, Rethinking Life, kind of paints with a broader brush and mm. also looks at history and where the cracks begin to happen in that um, that consistent, comprehensive value for life. I mean, um, when you really dig, uh, you see this in the colonization and the crusades. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the eugenics projects that kind of paved the way for the Holocaust, you know? Um, So there's a lot, there's a lot of kind of like big academic books on that, but I wanted Mm -hmm. to write one that, you know, can kind of um, be accessible to folks that are just thinking about this, where they are. And also you kind of in our culture, you see it all the time, this collision, like for instance, when people say black lives matter, the response from many people and, and many Christians mm-hmm. has been uh, all lives matter. Right. And so this is kind of addressing that, right? Is going, can we actually say all lives matter in a broad way if we can't say in particular that black lives matter, especially when our history has told a very different story, right? That black folks are three-fifths human. 
the mm. Dred Scott case that black folks don't have any rights that white people have to acknowledge. Um, Gosh. You know, that even the folks that wrote our founding documents that all are, you know, all men are created equal. They owned, you know, African-Americans as property. So, you know, I think we got to really wrestle with the, that. And it begins to poison some of our theology. So mm. um, I try to be really fair that, you know, that, that, that some of the heroes of our faith that we look to and that I quote all the time, they also, um, they saw through a glass dimly sometimes mm, as scripture mm-hmm, says, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. Martin Luther, even Thomas Aquinas, some folks that you, you can see Augustine, you know, you can see some of the residue of um, this ancient idea that some lives matter a little bit more than others, or mm. some people are more the perfection of the mm. image of God mm. than other people. So uh, that's what this book's about. And, you know, I, I hope it's a good resource for Southridge and for folks that, you know, up in Canada. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And I think a lot of people will take you up on the, on the invitation to give it a read. Um, one final question, Shane. I mean, we, uh, we spent all of 15 hours together after a couple of plane delays and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you, you've gotten to know us a little bit, at Southridge, kind of just curious, you know, what you might want to say to us to further spur us on toward love and good deeds, as Hebrews likes to tell us. Um, what what advice would you give us to help keep growing closer to the heart uh, that God of God that Jesus revealed to us? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I was so encouraged and am so encouraged by what I saw happening up there. And I, I think that um, so much of what you're already doing, I'd say, keep at it, you know, developing these friendships across difference, across cultural or economic or social bar- barriers, um, kind of continuing to to dream together, right? Of like, mm. what is stuff that we haven't tried? Because obviously the the church is good at continuing to try things that aren't always working or evolving, and so sure. let's try let's try some new experiments and sharing. You know, so think outside the box. Uh, I think the other thing that community has proven to be for me is a way that we can keep pushing ourselves forward. So sometimes people will say to me like, "How do you be more generous?" And I say, "Hang out with generous people." Cause they rub off on you. Like sure. literally, you know, if you want to be more courageous, hang out with courageous people because courage is contagious, you know? And so oh, I think like part, yeah. of, part of what community is about is hanging out with people who remind you of Jesus and who remind you of who you want to be, you know? Mm, and, mm. and uh, even, even as we fall short of that, you know, that we're creating spaces where we can confess where we yeah. fall short together, but we can still, you know, spur each other on. Hmm. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, why when you're a teenager, you hear of peer pressure as always a negative thing and it can be, you know, but sure. um, I think that that community, like what you're doing at Southridge is trying to do is to create this kind of critical mass, you know, of, yeah. of move, movement towards Jesus and generosity and self-sacrifice and love and, um, you know, anti-materialism and all those things that we see kind of at the heart of the gospel. So keep at it. Well, that's great. Well, so again, we've said thanks before. I'll just say it again. It was really kind of you to, to take the time to fly up and spend that day with us. It's just really grateful that you've actually spent this extra time online with us here. Um, 
we're grateful for the inspiration of the simple way and red letter Christians. Um, it's been fun to dream with you about how, how God might want to multiply his love in the context of our, of our space. Um, we hope, hope we can keep touching the future. I mean, if, if we, if we would love uh, for more of the simple way folk to rub off on us. So I know there's a bunch of us who are not so secretly hoping to Lord willing, make a road trip to Philly sometime in the future, in the not too distant future, have a chance to, to rub shoulders with some of you all there. Uh, but until then, Shane, uh, thanks again. And God bless you guys as you just keep seeking to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Thanks, man. You keep us in your prayers and we'll do the same and look forward to having you down here. I'm looking forward to that, man. And um, we'll keep, we'll definitely uh, keep cross-pollinating our community. So keep in touch, my brother. Oh, Thanks. That'll be fantastic. Thanks so much. Lo- love to all of you there at Southridge. We'll see you soon. Thanks a lot, Shane. Well, thanks for joining us today. I hope that you found it both compelling and inspiring. If you haven't already, make sure to check out last week's episode as it features the talk that Shane delivered here recently. And we'll see you in a week as we continue to find our way together.